0: Oh, go times! I live proud. I'm gonna do my That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's Saturday, and that means it's time for one thing. It's time for the podcast where the quality goes in before the name goes on. You're listening to the Best Linux Games Podcast, a companion piece to the uh, Steam group of the same name if you join us on the group, our recommendations are curated with the sole criteria of must and really These are recommendations only, of course. Uh, not complete reviews, which generally will follow, um, especially once they get some Alamofos mofos on this show. And as always, the content that awaits you ahead it may not be appropriate for Members of all species, races, genders, classes, creeds, and especially might not be age or work appropriate. So, it begins. Let's get the Linux Gaming on, which is. Hello, friends and neighbors. It is episode number 359 of the Best Linux Games podcast being recorded for you on this Saturday, the 11th of September twenty twenty one. Um Episode three fifty nine, yeah. At uh two PM Pacific Coast Time, left coast coast the most. That would make it of course first, sequel friends. Twenty twenty one oh nine eleven. Uh the twentieth anniversary of the September eleventh attacks two thousand one. That's going to be the central focus of this show. By the way, Crack Engineer Ivor Molina over there. I know, Ivor, I'm already getting a little weepy. I'm sorry. I'm all together. You hold it together. You're fired, by the way. So you try to hold that together. Hold it right between your fucking knees, Ivor. He's holding up the whiskey sign. Yeah, I remember too. Yeah. He's holding up the whiskey sign um, with that. um it's a great idea. Cheers, absent friends. Hmm. So, as I just intimated, uh, due to the moment, just the sheer momentous size of the anniversary. I mean, it's been two decades. Been exactly half my life, um, you know, uh, and and it, it was it was the event that changed the entire fucking world. Um, so because it's impossible to ignore, and I wouldn't want to ignore it anyway. Um, this anniversary. <laughs> our show is going to be different this week. But before we get to all of that, um, and I apologize because I know I we we try to keep this the toy aisle uh, as the schmooze would say, as the original Captain Midnight would say. We try to keep this the toy aisle, but you know, it, uh, anniversary if you're of a certain age it's just so enormous it's inescapable so I do have a couple of pieces of gaming news and then we'll get to the serious stuff we'll put the gaming stuff up front just in case you know if you just don't want to hear or think about about September 11th Um, because I imagine that the TV is putting on, uh, their own tributes and stuff. I bet that's going to go on all day. I haven't seen anything I, I slipped in. Um, so I imagine that other people are doing this better than what I'm going to present. But I do have some really big, uh, deals for you this week, courtesy of Friend of the Show, Master Splinter hit me up uh, on Wednesday night. I think a game that I had on my like my radar for fuck a long time has finally gone on fucking sale. Uh, it's called a plague. Uh, a Plague Tale Innocence. And it is a uh, seven. Oh, Ivor, what are you doing to me? You're fired! God damn it! Hmm. Ivor! Why is this not in the rundown? Oh, God! A Plague Tale Innocence which is 75% off for the next two days as part of the Focus Interactive Steam so- Store sale, making it $10. This game is gorgeous. It runs phenomenally well on Linux. It run, ran right out of the box on my system. Um... And to say that it's been, uh, uh, say that the critical reception of this game was, um, favorable is, like, the most, is, like, the understatement of the year, um, uh, Gamespot gave it out of eight out of ten. ScreenRant gave it ten out of ten, which does not count for me. Um, and it won a bunch of awards. It's a incredibly good looking triple A. I mean, it is gorgeous. Triple A um, action adventure with like uh, uh, strong characters and emphasis on storytelling, narrative, etc with lots and lots of rats I personally love rats but feral rats are the worst things that you've ever seen in your entire life, trust me um, but this, this game has, like, the top-of-the-line type of shape masking, um, facial mocap. cap uh, It came out originally May 14th, 2019. Um, but it's one of those games that, you know, when I saw the video for, uh, Plague Tale Innocence months ago, I want to say. Maybe it was Maybe, maybe it was longer than that maybe it was like a year ago um I couldn't tell if the people were real or not it's one of it's one of those types of games um and we had some other stuff that I was gonna put in um but it can wait till next week because I know I have work. well we I know I know I'm I'm not gonna lose my shit not going to lose my shit you're right more whiskey so with that oh boy let's get into it um i just want to say that i I don't talk about September 11th that much i never have um because if you were alive and this is what, this is the other thing that occurred to me 20 years on. I- I've been hanging out with this, uh, this, uh, young girl. Cause I am a dirty fucking old man. Um, and she's 23. I've been hanging out with her for a while. I've known her for a while. And as I was, talking to her in the middle of the week and I was like, man, I can't believe it's going to be 20 years and she was like I was too and it hit me that that, you know, I've gotten old but that day has stuck with me and if you were alive and if you lived that day, and we're old enough to remember it, that's one thing. Like, you know, let's say you're, like, three or five or ten. But if you were a bit older than that, like I was, if you were, like, old enough to understand... Or to rather not understand, honestly, um, the events that happened that day. The people, I mean, the people that we lost, everyone who is of a certain age, that day marked all of us. And it changed the world. It was the day of the world, it was a pivot point in history in human history, not just United States history, not just, you know in human history, it was a pivot point because even if you didn't even if you weren't in New York and even if you didn't lose anybody we, the entire country watched this live on TV and so it was a moment unlike anything Else. And my story is not unique. In fact, my story is more common than it is unique. But I, I you know, I, it's been 20 years. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I want to tell it to you. Um, and I, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't it's it's my way of remembering 2011 September 11 2001 because it's 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 the way it happened to me so it's not a it's like I said it's not a unique story and if you are of a certain age, no doubt you know you're you remember it. Probably pretty much the same way everyone saw. Even though we saw the same thing, it it happened in different ways. And and yeah, here here's here's my uh, my remembrance. The day we remember two thousand one. On what with it, ivor. What do you mean you don't know what to roll? You just, you fucking pull. A palate cleanser, something. Give me a bumper here. Give me something. God damn. Hey, you're fired! <laughs> I had just turned 21 in July of that year, 2001, and I, I had been in the process of pulling my life together. I had gone to jail for quite uh, a while, two years prior to September 11th, for a non-accident, non-collision, stupid drunk driving uh, arrest when I was 17. Um, and my license got suspended for two years and I mean I brought shame and misery and expense to my family and I had to spend a lot of time in jail actually um, not like hard time but uh, I was so drunk that when they were processing me uh, and this was Thanksgiving. The, the Thursday, the, the, um, I think it was a Tuesday before Thanksgiving. I got out 10 days later and they kept me in the tank. And it was an experience that changed me. Um, not just the drunk tank. They pulled me out of the drunk tank like two days in and moved me to a room with literally so many other people that you couldn't lay down on the floor for the first couple days, you were like standing shoulder to shoulder packed into this tiny room, and it, it really changed me, and it was the only true existentialists are in jail nor in prison and uh, it forced me to grown up. And so, you know, in a way, I was kind of reborn from the, you know, excruciating experience of that experience. I had bed sores from sleeping on concrete for a month after that. That's just one aspect of it. But that's not what this story is about. And um it, it sobered me up. It's serious it, it serious. it made me serious. Made me made me serious because I had to be, I had to figure out what the fuck I was going to do <coughs> with my life and I had failed it was a failure um, of a size that I had yet, you know, never achieved and going to jail is scary um, yeah and so I because of that, I mean, I had always been pr- very disciplined with my music, since I was thir- since I was 13 years old, but now I I found a capacity for discipline that was like the bedrock order to my life, focus to my future. Um, so I was 21. My license had been restored, and I, you know, personally, lessons well learned for over a year of having to walk three miles to school um I was ready to take the plunge I had shaved my head as a disciple and went to get my music degree and at the time I was I was uh, a mediocre stride pianist but I was uh, growing into being a uh Good jazz, good jazz pianist. Um, I had years of classical training, uh, years of jazz training, two unbelievable masters behind me. But this was, this was different. This was, this was university level. M- you know, I, this was, this was going to be my major I was a sociology major at the time um but I switched I I decided that I was going to switch and take the plunge into full on absolute horror path that my father had warned me about growing up son don't go into music unless you have to and uh so I shaved my head, I mean it was a total degradation ritual, self-imposed I shaved my head and went to get my music degree and uh it was a two year course to begin with, that's the first component um and it was an exceptionally difficult road, for even those who are like me um, well prepared uh This is a difficult course to contemplate. Two years, four semesters that had to be taken sequentially of Theory 1 through 4. Form analysis, music literature, etc. Alongside of that, along with whatever else I took uh, Business of Music, a bunch of other stuff on top of that. And, um, I mean, you know, but it's Theory 1 through 4 that's the most daunting, then form analysis, then counterpoint, but that would be later. Um, I mean, the ear training and melodic and harmonica alone were staggeringly difficult commitments to make, and I was there, shaved head, a disciple suddenly to Dr. D. Goss Nelson, who's was an excellent professor, and she produced excellent theoreticians. And on the first day of class, it was standing room only. It reminded me very much of the The time that I had done in jail not too long ago. And she told us today we will not be going over the syllabus. Today, I mean, you could, we were packed in there like sardines. Today, I will talk with every one of you individually and determine your appropriateness for this course. It, not to judge you, but to determine what your goals are. And, figure out if this is really what you want to do. Because I've seen this room as full as it is now more times than I can remember and I can promise you that within two semesters there will be almost none of you left. By the fourth semester, this room will be 85-95% to empty. And she was right. By 2001, I had survived the unmitigated carnage of theory 1 and 2. I had gone through the first year. I was granted credit waivers to take more units than the department normally allowed. and was the first person in institutional memory at that time to tutor theory 1 through 4 before having even begun theory 3. By the time our third semester arrived... And once again, these courses had to be taken sequentially. Meaning, if you failed or were found wanting or had a life problem or something unexpected occurred that made you incapable of completing the next course or you dropped out or whatever, you would have to wait not just till next semester to take that course again, but a whole year and change before the course was offered again. And this risk ran higher the further in you went but it was a meat grinder theory 1 and theory 2 had further winnowed out our numbers and it was surprising it was surprising so out of that first 100 people who were crammed in that room on our first day There were six of us left, and Doctor. And don't get me wrong, Doctor D worked twice as hard as her students ever did to help her students succeed. I mean, she was. This was not, you know, the fact that like, our the the attrition rate was so high was not a deficiency on her part as an educator. She was insanely rigorous and produced grads who knew their shit on a world class level, and but she herself was a great educator and a patient and generous and wise and just and you know we were all lucky to have her as our master um, and she helped at every opportunity any student who came her way and who, was seri- who, who possessed a seriousness equal to the task and material that you know she was going to teach So by September of 2001, there were six of us left, and the day for us began at like 11.45 a.m. at that point. If I remember correctly. First semester students started at like 8 o'clock in the morning, like the buck and buck crack of dawn. Horrible. Horrible. And you would fucking get in there and bam, your, your day would start with melodic and harmonic dictation. Bam! Off the fucking back. It's 8 o'clock. It's always too early for melodic and harmonic dictation. Trust me. Sometimes we start with sight singing. Let's see even worse. It's always too early for that shit, but when it's 8 o'clock, trust me, it way the pain, the pain, the pain. Taught you discipline. It made us strong. So, first semester students started at 8, then second semester students at, like, I want to say nine thirty ish, and then the third semester at like eleven thirty or eleven forty-five, and then that was theory one through four until you reached the, the the um yeah theory one through four, and at that time that final rung of the ladder didn't exist because no one had survived. The previous batch of people had not survived the th- to make it t- to make it through the third semester. There was no one to graduate from theory four. So that meant Doc had an extra period, and that's when I took clarinet from Doc. But anyway, the point is, my days back then, however, began then. In 2001, as they had since I started the first course in 2000. I'd wake up at 4 a.m., get a hamburger from Carl's Jr. for breakfast, then would get into the music building by 5.15, usually at the latest. I was the first person, always, to arrive. Spent the next two hours or more working on my compositions, alone doing my performance practice, playing tunes, the janitors, other ghosts who walk the halls, and then, like, you know, 45 minutes before class started, I would get a coffee. I, Like I said, I was incredibly serious. And by 2001, I frequently had tutoring appointments as well, both before and after classes, and they paid me well. I had a secretary who handled the arrangements for those Students who applied for my help, and uh, they actually paid for four—I uh, can't remember—ten credit hours, ten hours of tutoring for every three credit class. So that meant everyone lo- like loved to get tutored, and so I was always very busy. And because they didn't have to pay, it was built into their tuition Um. and so this early schedule meant that I'd get home generally by like, you know, 3.30 to 6pm by 2001 and then I would proceed to get as shit-faced as possible as fast as possible bathe and then be in bed literally by no later than midnight now it's September of 10th 2001, I put on a Chopin CD in my CD player, turned off the TV, and went to sleep drunk and listening to the depressing works of the great tubercular pianist composer. Something was wrong that night, though. I mean, it was so weird. It was so weird. I felt it. I still say, even looking back, that I felt it. I felt something weird that night while I was sleeping. I, you know, can't put a word to it. A name on it. it wasn't, you know, anything as gothic or, uh, you know, it wasn't like Edgar Allan Poe, fucking Fall of House of Usher or anything spooky like that. But it was just something was. Anyway, when I woke up that morning, my TV was somehow on, and I have no way of accounting for that. I was still living with my parents. It was five in the morning here in Las Vegas. But it was a late start for me. And uh, back then I left my TV tuned to CNN at all times because we had just gotten cable. She lived in the middle of nowhere in Las Vegas. And they just had run cable out to our area as town had caught up with us. That, the house where I grew up is now roughly in the center of town. It was not just the edge of town. It was... Beyond the edge of town, there was nothing by my house. We didn't have paved roads when I grew up. There was a ranch, a horse ranch across the street, literally across the street from my house when I was growing up. So we had cable by then, and I didn't watch, you know, sitcoms or anything. Sometimes I would watch a little bit of Conan O'Brien, but everything else was just CNN. Comedy Central I am 2 k too but CNN and so it was just before I was heading out the door my bedroom that the news it happened it, it TV, TV said that a commercial airliner hit one of the towers of the World Trade Center in New York and this is an unthinkable thing. And I put my bag down. And I went back over to my coffee table and turned the volume up further. And the TV was showing this this building, this massive, iconic, hundred story building. I always thought that they were ugly. They were, you know, 1970-era humongoid giant extruded rectangles, but they were fixtures on the New York City skyline. One of the most identifiable buildings in the world. And now there was a gaping hole of, you know, absolutely, it was, you know, it was just unbelievable proportions. It was this giant, smoking hole in the side of the of the building, and details just start coming so fast and furious. It, and it was all on live TV, and it it was just crazy. It was crazy, and it it was it you know it if you remember. But if you don't remember, it was absolutely stunning. It was a disaster, but I had no idea, you didn't know what was happening. None of us did. No, no one knew what the fuck was going on and there was just like all of this fire hose reportage. It's all coming at once and it was difficult to tell what was rumors and what was not and this is all just from CNN and my phone rang. My phone rang. It was a landline. I didn't have a cell phone back then. It was one of my best friends, Alex. Are you fucking seeing... No shit, man! What the fuck? What a terrible accident. You know, how... I told him, you know, how could the... And he was like, this wasn't a fucking accident. There's no way this it was an accident. I'm like, oh, you're probably right. And I felt this horrible sinking feeling as I realized this was like literally an attack. This was an attack. And so I stood there, you know, with the phone and we watched the same fire and smoke just yes, billowing this horrible black smoke billowing spewing from the side of the wounded building and we st- we watched an abject horror and confusion and you know, we were just trying to put it together in our own minds what the fuck were, what, what the fuck you know it was like the world is made out of questions and there were no answers and you know, I remember Alex saying it's gonna fucking fall, man. We've been Pearl Harbor. I mean, Alex was the ultimate military history buff, and I I remember lighting a cigarette and waving it like you know, just like just just, just just gesticulating with it like a conductor in the empty fucking room. And I'm like, no, man, there's no way it's made of fucking steel. If it was, if it, if it was gonna fall, and then. And this is the thing that, one of the things, everything from that day is burned into your mind for forever. If you saw it as it happened, because that's what, that's what it was. Something like right then, Alex and I, and along with the rest of the world, we watched as it happened in real time. A second, fucking jet crash into the other tower and now there was no doubt we were under fucking attack and Alex was shouting and I was just saying oh my god oh my god you're right those people oh my god they said you know terrorism terrorism is defined as an act of violence against a society to make a political point to advance a political agenda by inspiring fear confusion and chaos in a civilian population and Amer- something like this had never happened in America something like this had never happened anywhere So it all gets confusing. You know, I mean, I can only tell you the way I remember it, but it felt like 10 minutes, but it was closer to like an hour. As we sat there, I just, I just kept fucking lighting cigarettes and burning out of my hands. We were trying to just like reason our way through it. I mean, Alex, that's, you know, what Alex and I did. You know, we debated constantly. One of my best friends. So it felt like 10 minutes, but it was closer to an hour. And we tried to, we tried to process this insane calamity. And I remember we watched people leap to their deaths, lie on fucking TV, choosing a hundred story fall rather than being burned alive. It was the worst thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. not I don't, I don't... Neither of us was hysterical, but, I you know, both of us were, were crying. And the shock of it was so overwhelming, what we were seeing in real time. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And we were whisper-shouting into our phones because... We both lived at home, and our mothers both slept late. Oh, my God. And Alex said again, it's going to fall. And I was like, no fucking way, man. No way. If it was going to... It's steel. If it was going to fall. And then on our TVs, we watched the first tower implode like some kind of hellish magic trick. I remember this... I don't remember the sound of what was coming out of my mouth, but I do remember Alex just beside himself on the phone. Oh, my God. Oh, oh wow. My God. And it was gone. And it left this monstrous billowing dust cloud. And it was like this gray cement opacity of doom against... It was such a beautiful morning. It was a beautiful autumn sky. This just... This... Enormous... Billowing and billowing and billowing dust clouds. It was unlike any... And I'd seen implosions in real... In person, because I lived in Vegas... Soed out, but this was something so different. And we sat there in silence for what felt like, you know, only half a second. It's weird how elastic time can be, but it had to have been minutes. And my fiftieth cigarette, you know, my fiftieth. And these were cigarettes I think I was still stealing from my mom. It was probably Lark lights. And I just kept lighting them. And then... I didn't even smoke. I was just... And, and I remember... It was the, the cloud. The cloud. I remember... Sucking down these cigarettes at, at that point. I wasn't just conducting empty air and stuck in my lips my head was in my hands looking up partially it just snapshots of disbelief up at the TV and then phone on my thrift store coffee table. and we were crying silently, involuntarily we were, we were literally beside ourselves those people <laughs> oh god man those people what are they gonna and the second tower fell and we all watched it live on TV It was like a front row seat to the end of the world. We're going to war. Alex said, Are you going to go with me? I was like, I don't know, probably. And then everything was so fast. There were reports of other planes crashing. Then news that made our blood run ice fucking cold. Ice cold. Cause it, it was now irrefutably real. We got news that the Pentagon had been hit by a fucking airplane. All of a sudden, planes are coming out of the sky. It was like, an, it was a nightmare. It was a horror movie. It was an end. It was an apocalyptic horror movie. Planes suddenly begin attacking people. You know, film let... What? you know uh, uh, when we found out Pentagon on the hit i just remember alex sh- shouting we've been fucking pearl harbor oh my god and i was like who would fucking do this and it was just this wall of grief and rage and a little bit of fear and just abject despair cuz there was nothing we could do Nothing we could do but but watch this on TV as it happened, and all of this news, all of this news, all of this news. It didn't stop. Bam, the FAA says that they're grounding all air traffic. Bam, there are reports that fighter jets have been scrambled of domestic U.S. cities New York, Washington who knew where else and they were they had orders to shoot down any commercial airplane that wouldn't comply with the grounding order be escorted away from any city planes with normal fucking American citizens on them and being targeted by their own people and it was not a winnable situation it wasn't until later that I found out much later, only very recently only uh, like two months ago from General uh, Barry McCaffrey that the jets that we scrambled to kill our own people who were being held hostage in you know flying death tubes by terrorists who had picked out unknown targets but had evidently done a lot of planning so we didn't know when it was going to end because it was one after the other after the other after the other and um it wasn't until a couple of months ago i found out that that the fight the jets that we had scrambled on the east coast, because everything seemed to be moving from east to west the jets that we had scrambled they didn't have any weapon systems loaded on them because we never expected to have to scramble fighter jets over United, United States domestic skies to shoot down our own fucking commercial airliner civilian airliners So they were all ready to crash into the other planes. And thank God that didn't happen. But we didn't know what the fuck had or had not yet happened. Everything was... Everything was happening on the TV. It was just a wailing... It was just a wailing wall of agony and chaos and horror. And we saw it all as it happened real time, we watched those people die. And we didn't know. It was untold numbers of dead. Helicopter shot of the aftermath in New York City is one of the things I remember most vividly from that morning. About ten minutes after the second tower fell. And it showed the entire island of Manhattan covered in a shroud, this dust cloud it was so enormous they it seemed to blot out like the horizon it blotted out the world it blotted out everything it it was something that no one had ever seen before dust cloud was so enormous i remember alex saying My God, this looks like a fucking science fiction movie. And I remember, I remember just thinking, "Man, what about the people in the fucking streets?" Oh fuck! There, I thought that there would there would be Christ. Who know? I mean, so just so many. It was nine o'clock in the morning. It was a work day. There'd be so many people down there, just people on the street, it didn't look like anyone could survive that shit. And it was just, I just remember whispering, sweet, holy fuck, oh my god, oh my god. I remember telling Alex this, this changes everything. It was like a blizzard of horror unmitigated horror happened all at once out of of that same blue sky that clear sky seemed to happen in fast forward but in slow motion too because there was so much to process and you had to you were trying to judge each piece of new reporting and, and sort out fact and rumor and you know then th- then there was video up of the plane that hit the pentagon which could have been so much worse cuz the plane really didn't quite hit the pentagon I'm still bad enough. Unmitigated horror. I mean, there's no word for it, but I remember, and I never talk about this to anyone, never. I remember as I watched as people jump from the building film telephoto zoom lens, and this was happening. I remember I was watching, I was, just, I was there watching, and I and I I remember the empty, the, 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 um, burning the filter on my cigarette. And I, I remember reaching, reaching out at the TV as if I, as if I could like pluck them from the sky. The embers and the people, the, <laughs> remember uh-uh. it was just instinctive it was like a child I, 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 I could, maybe I could I could grab one people leap into their deaths in real time on my goddamn TV I would grab them. And put them down. I wanted something to grab them and save them. Like some kind of God in a God game or whatever. Some kind of, st- it sounds so stupid, but it was like, it was just, it was just instinctive. I want some kind of way of hope of saving them. By ten forty five, my mother, who was a night owl back then, had woken up, and I was sitting in the living room of the house now, and I had been anticipating her getting up for the last few minutes, and I, 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 had, I was anticipating it with just total dread. You gotta remember, I was just barely 21 as of July of that year. And now for the first time in my, in my life, I was going to have to find words to express this depthless catastrophe to someone who had always broken such news and there had never been any news. Truly as breathtakingly awful as this in our family. She was the one who would normally explain something like this to me. And I was going to have to explain this to her remember i composed myself and i'd rung off with alex a few minutes before i you know i was like man i gotta i gotta get off now my mom is gonna be up soon and i need a minute i i gotta figure out what the fuck i'm gonna say to her about this and both of us agreed and we we, we, we knew that the day and the coming days were gonna be crazy but uh like you know i' we'll catch up tonight in person or tomorrow in person or soon in person. (sighs) As soon as possible. The attack, I mean the terror, it was was completely real and completely confusing and the world had somehow become over those six hours ish, five and a half hours, five hours, whatever, world come like the static feel of pure uncertainty rank with dread, I mean rank with dread visceral, real, absolute dread with both our biggest fears being that any second now the next thing would happen the other the next shoe would drop that this had been just a prelude because we bam, 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 bam And we didn't even have casualty lists yet. And I heard my mom's bedroom door open. I remember straightening my tie. And I remember that living room. It was that crisp, clear autumn day, both in New York City and in Las Vegas. And it was a beautiful day out here in Vegas. It was gorgeous out in New York. And I remember standing up as my mother entered and I had muted the TV I remember standing up like some sort of fucking 19th century, you know, or it was very formal. I remember standing up as my mother, actually, because I wanted to signal in every way to make this as, as you know. I remember saying, "Mom." She entered the room. I remember trying to, trying to keep my voice even, clear, calm, patient, clear, even diction, even, not soothing, but not panicked, not. I didn't want to come at her with a through a snot spraying tornado of, you know, grief and terror, and we're all going to die. I remember saying, Mom, something horrible's happened. Terrorists flown planes into, and, you know, rest was a blur after that. And as I was saying, you know, once I saw that she was processing, what I was saying, I had the remote in my hand and I start turning up the TV very slowly. and uh, I just didn't want her to think that the world had ended not in your first seconds after waking up, even though I, you know like it had been five hours of the world actually watching the world end for the rest of the, for the rest of the world who was awake. So, she was briefed. <sighs> so, we talked for a few minutes, and my mom back then is, and she, now, she's, she's a lady made of pure steel, a tiny little heart of pure gold. <laughs> I had to go into combat with someone commanding the show on a strategic level in any situation or circumstance she'd be, you know, I'd be happy if mom is smart the the smartest person I have ever known in my entire life and uh, least prone to emotion Irish Catholic Irish Catholic broad And, you know, we looked at the TV and she was trying to digest what it was saying and what I was saying and I was saying it suddenly too fast and it was all just kind of spilling out on me because it was like five hours of fucking wide awake unmitigated nightmare. Unmitigated nightmare world had been bottled up inside me. Even though, like, you know, it's what Alex and I were trying to do. We were trying to, like, work our way through this mentally... And now I had to suddenly report it. But I, I, I did remain calm. And, uh, she, you know, she was, ho- she was, she's horrified. But when my mom, you know, gets stressed, she goes calm. She's one of those types of people. She's the exact opposite of every fucking, you know, maniac who, when they're like, assume the position. No, oh, do it faster. Freeze! You can't assume the position and freeze at the same time. Slowly. F- faster! Yeah. Nah, that's... My mom would assume the fucking position. Show me your hands! And the TV just... Endless replay of this cataclysm all different angles I mean that would have passed for like the greatest coverage of an event in human history had it only been five hours later that we got to see this but we saw it in real time which was something so horrible something that I was not prepared for that morning you know there was no warning. None of us were prepared. Well, no, the NSA evidently was prepared, but that's a different story. I'm not going to talk about what we've learned since. I'm just talking about that day. I remember we sat there? My mom in a rock in her uh in her easy chair. I was on the couch. And the TV was on in front of us, and it was a 15-inch Magnavox TV that weighed about 45 fucking pounds. I said I didn't have a cell phone back then. I still lived with my parents, so she I, she was briefed, and you know she had assessed the situation. I made sure that she, you know, I wasn't abandoned. I didn't. I just didn't want her to wake up and have to see this and try to figure this out alone, because. She would wonder where I was. She would, you know, wonder what the fuck is going on, and there'd be no way to reach me. Like, I mean, you could call the tutoring office, but they didn't have like a page, and I wasn't going to be at the tutoring office. I was, if I, you know, if I had left before she'd woken up, but she got up, and it was weird because she got up a little earlier than normal that that day too. But anyway, she was brief. She assessed the situation. She kind of assimilated it within minutes. I remember I, I had, I had uh, so at some point in there I made a pot of coffee and I drained my the last of my cup and I, I grabbed my bag. I remember telling her I had to go. Like, go where? I'm like, I have to go to class. I know I you know, I knew that it would be cancelled but I knew that they would be there. I remember telling her I've spent all morning staring at this. And I, and, and I know that they have too. Cause I know all six of these people. These are, these are my people. This is my team. And I know they will be there. And really, there's nothing for me to, there's nothing for me to do here. And it's been five hours of this. Five, six hours, whatever. And I have to do something. Right, so I'm going to go to class. I just knew they had to. And she told me to go be careful we had no idea what our horrors might still be in store that day, and Las Vegas was a fantastic target for terrorist strike on every level symbolically, economically, strategically militarily, Nelson Air Force Base is within the North Las Vegas city limits so striking a major tourism target like the Stratosphere Tower which was like fucking brand new ish, it was only a couple years old or any of the casinos on the Strip would be just like a horrendous blow for these fucking scum (laughs) this guy, this Osama bin Laden guy, this religious fundamentalist who evidently decried western decadence and capitalism capitalist imperialism is anathema to something that they were calling a jihad which at the time we understood to mean a holy war like to purify the world from the enemies of whatever fucked up twisted fundamentalist suicide branch a fucking Islam turned death cult it was like animating these fucks it was like it was it was it was crazy because hey, you did not know what was next. And it was it was immediate it was already overload. So as one of like the chief exponents of American capitalism, capitalistic decadence, moral corruption, fucking everything that makes America America, you know, um not, not corruption, corruption, but I mean like, you know, like from like a puritanical standpoint, moral corruption. Anywhere here, anywhere in Las Vegas could easily be like the next place to get hit. And hell, even blowing up Hoover Dam be a catastrophically crippling blow. Most like strategic militarily, it would be, it, it, and the attacks had seemed to be moving from east to west. So the Vegas Valley, which is utterly def- defenseless and unprepared for, you know, just like everybody else, especially in those hours where the attacks seem to be, yeah, moving from east to west. It presented lots of soft targets, bunch of high value, high value military targets. Um, that weren't pointed towards our defense, probably. We had no idea, except that anything, a- at that point, anything was within the logical realms, realistic prob- possibility. Remember, me, I, we, all of us, the whole fucking world had just seen, after all, I mean, what we had just seen was so unthinkable, As to put everything on the table, and nothing was safe. Nothing was surely safe. So I grabbed my sport code, and I jumped in my car, it was a 1997 Grand Marquis a front bumper that was falling off it. and I lit a cigarette as I gun my way towards school and it was a long commute normally um normally it's just a fucking hellish traffic snarl of freeway congestion mixed in with heavy industrial traffic but that day that late morning was so devoid of other vehicles it's one thing that um Everyone, you know, younger people and people my age uh, really have a reference for because it wasn't until lockdown last year that I'd ever heard anything so quiet. And so, yeah, it was. Yeah, that that late morning it was so devoid of other vehicles, it made the hair on the back of your neck stand on end. I remember cruising down the fucking com- near completely empty freeway at noon, almost you know, like, like eleven. This just like a six or nine mile commute, I can't remember, and it was easy, easy to imagine that the world had ended. You never seen anything like it. And I arrived at school. I parked near the music building, and like any other day, there was there were almost no other cars there. Normally, this is a parking lot that is more park as much parking as like Dodger Stadium, always at capacity, and you could have spun donuts for miles. Without hitting another car, well, for forever. Without hitting another car, so I got a better parking space. And I was about—I showed up about fifteen minutes early, if I remember correctly. And I knew I knew that the others would come. I knew that they would need to be with, you know, someone else. Same way. It's me and it, and that after all of this time, we had been programmed to show up. (laughs) We've been institutionalized to show up. That was the level of discipline that took six of us. And I knew that they at that point in the morning they were all probably in various stages debating, same way as I had been, on the even on the way down there. Like, man, what are you doing? This is stupid. Where you know, do I go? You know, we were all shell-shocked. And I want to close this episode with these two final remembrances of that September eleventh. Twenty years ago. Skipling would say twenty years, twenty summers, and a million lifetimes ago. So I remember sitting there in front of the music department in this thing we called the cage. It had these stone benches, and that's where we would smoke, and it had this steel cage around it. It was an architectural thing, and it did mean that you could lock the cage. So it was, like, this own separate patio that was built into the side of the music department that, you know, you could get locked into you could only get out if I remember correctly of the cage you couldn't get into the cage you had to go into the building you had to go around the corner into the building and then into the cage and you could go from the cage into the building or the cage outside of the cage but you could not go from outside of the cage into the cage and so that's why why I called it the cage because you could just see music majors and other people you know chain smoking there usually there's like you know one or two people I remember sitting there alone and I lit a cigarette and I felt like felt like something was really wrong I mean like in a weird way like dangerously wrong and it took me took me a couple of minutes to put it together in my before it clicked in my head before you know I'm looking up at this gorgeous Las Vegas desert autumnal sky first Breath of autumn. The first hint of coolness in the air. It's like one of my favorite times of year. You've never seen the desert. If you've ever been to Italy, just imagine that same type of light. But clearer. It's this gorgeous. And it just paints the desert and the mountains. And, you know, it was a sunny day. And just like. 360 days a year but there's something 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 is creepy wrong and um, it hit me it that there was no sound in the sky so all the planes have been grounded in one of the countries I mean, the last phase was one of the country's most heavily traveled airports for business and tourism and there was nothing coming in or going out. And it was the sound of that silence. You could only hear the faintest, distant rumbling of ground travel, and this is in a heavily trafficked part of the city. And it was so indistinct and distant that it, you know, it barely registered. It was like it was unearthly. I remember stubbing out my cigarette, I'm still fighting back tears. I mean whole fucking morning. Then another one is trying to focus like uh, and this is what everyone else was doing too. You focused on the next minute. Minute to minute. The next second. And that's how you navigated this new and awful world that all of us, and I mean all of us, Western civilization, the world, only been thrown into. I looked up at the sky and I we still didn't know the numbers. We knew that, we knew that they were going to be too many. And I was also wondering, am I an idiot for showing up? More whiskey. You know, it was like, uh, it's like the same feeling I mean I hadn't even tried the door yet I don't think I had tried the door the door to our room I didn't know if the door to our room had even been unlocked normally it was unlocked at like literally 4.30 in the morning So it felt like, you know, like, you know, you show up for a date and you wonder, did she stand me up? But then slowly, one by one, Tom Waits would say, as the street shook out, the stew bum showed up like bounce checks, rubbing their necks in the sky, I turned the color of Pepto-Bismol. One by one, all six was turned up. And all of us looking at each other. All oh, I don't remember. I don't remember if we hugged, but I remember. Look, I remember everyone looking at each other like we wanted to hug, but no, sure. What the hell was appropriate? And we were just. Everyone knew how everyone felt. There was a crazy thing. To know how everyone felt. Yeah, that in and of itself was not normal. And you we know, were shaking our heads and we're mumbling, you know, talking to each other. And a minute or two before our normal time for class to start, basically all went in together. And we sat, you know, in, in our. Like a platoon falling in to like the seats that each one of us had staked out, our seats. And I, and everyone was still whispering. We didn't know why we were whispering. And then suddenly it was just like the minute before class would normally start. We started whispering. Do you think she'll be here? And votes were still out. What are you going to do? What are you going to do after this? We had one person who would be getting deployed. What are you gonna do after this? Go to try to give blood? I don't know, do you work tonight, Tony? I don't know. I don't know if I work tonight. we all knew the class had been cancelled by the way, when we told, you know, we it was obvious the class would be cancelled and we all still showed up and I mean, I remember I remember telling Tony, and I, you know, it was weird because suddenly everything was coming out of me, too loud it was too fast and but I'm I'm I remember telling Tony, you know, man. Me too. I just wanted I to, wanted to see you guys. Man, like a thunderclap, we were all be weeping, trying to smile at each other, but we were we were there together in agony. Everyone just shaking their hands, heads in grief. Confusion, in total confusion. In fear. In despair. And that's when Dr. D walked in. Class had been canceled. But she also showed up. And when I say class has been canceled, we we didn't get a phone call, we didn't get a memo. Fuck, two of us didn't even have fucking email addresses. Dr. D fucking showed up. And we all, you know, she's like, Yeah, class is canceled. What do you guys want to talk about? And we did. We sat there for about 30 minutes. What is this? You know. And it was crazy. Because our music class had become something different. It was like a uh, I don't know like a group therapy or like a bereavement class thing. And all of us showed up. Also, we concluded that barring any new attack that our next scheduled class was going to happen that week. We're going to soldier through. And no one knew. No one knew about the firefighters who went into that building. (sighs) Till later that week when uh, it was a horrible story. New York City Fire Department had to bury their dead and they lost so many people. They lost so many firefighters. There were not enough firefighters left in most precincts have honor guards for the dead. And so, the country, everyone, every city, set their firemen. Endless horrors. It's just, it's a litany of horrors. The day of the world change. And for me, the long-term You know, uh, it took me a year before I touched a piano again. This is someone who went from spending five hours of every day on a piano. I didn't touch a piano again unless it was for completing assignments for music class because I had to work out a piece of part writing or whatever I was I had no appetite and I felt so useless and everything felt so pointless but sure enough we showed up again so my final thought about that afternoon about, about that day that afternoon when I returned home I was on my computer, I remember I was answering my emails and I was sending emails to people I knew who were back east uh, who lived in the city, uh, you know, trying to make sure everyone was okay and there was like no, I knew that communications were all fucked up out there and this was a story that was coming reported increasingly as the day wore on that their, that the network had failed and so first responders couldn't talk to each other and first responders was a new term for lots of us and the n- preliminary numbers came in like I said, they were too high. I mean any number was gonna to be too high. It's gonna be a thinkable number. But still we didn't have like a TikTok yet. Like when I say TikTok, I mean then I am sorry, excuse me. I don't mean that in like the app, like the video app. I mean I mean in the journalistic sense. TikTok. TikTok is the, the sequence of events. The who, what, why, where, when and how of each bullet point of what happened in order that's what you do as a journalist when you cover something like this or murder you, quit, you fucking go up with a tiktok and a tiktok should tell you the story we didn't have anything like a tiktok we still didn't know what the fuck So the one of the best ways to get in touch with people who I know who I knew who were living in New York was through email. And I got lucky. I, I did not lose anybody. But everyone I know. Everyone I know. everyone I knew lost somebody or knew somebody who lost somebody and that's just like in like the direct and it was so horrible to see it as it happened and so I, I was on the computer and I mean even my publisher had sent me an email from the UK and he was but you know by six o'clock so it was like three o'clock in the morning his time and he saying how sorry he was and how you know we were all Americans that day and then we'll get these cocksuckers and etc cetera, et cetera and I, and I went to do his search. this is I mean I was pouring whiskey. I, I didn't drink like I do now. I drink way heavier than I do now. I was pouring whiskey like it was going out of style, and uh, I remember I went to do a search. There was no Google search for images, but there was. I wanted there was a an image that I want a specific image that I had seen on TV. An image of Manhattan in that that cloud, horrible cloud. I went to find that because I knew I wanted to wanted to try to find it, and um, and I, I couldn't find that image, but I found a different one. Found this. The image that is this week's show episode image, found it on that day, and I, I remember thinking, we we will never be the same, and I saved it. The day we remember two thousand one. I've seen it many times over the intervening years and almost always by accident um, but I've saved it I've kept it from system to system from hard drive to hard drive every time I've accidentally run across it it has always shaken me to my core and the years roll by I don't believe in God, but I have no shame or hesitation in saying, "God bless, God bless all the people that we lost that day. God bless their families. That day and the day after, days afterwards, those are injured, or lost loved ones." The decades may open between us and an event. But today, you know, I mean, I got nothing. I just want to say that no one who saw it, No one has forgotten. And you know me and everyone I, you know just I'm just another fucking fellow human being and I, my story is not extraordinary. None of it is extraordinary. That's what's so depressing about it. Um, we remember you remember 20 years ago it wasn't the end of the world. It's just the end of ours. yeah so that's my that's my remembrance of uh, September 11th 2001. I don't know God bless. Okay. And that's this week's show. Um, I will catch you next week. Once again, um, be sure to pick up, if you have the hardware, I mean, if you have any sort of modern computer, be sure to pick up, uh, Plague Tale Innocence. It's a steal at $10. Oh boy. Whoa. Well, oh boy. Yeah, I know. I know. I know I wore I know, you're no you're still fired you're still fired but yeah yeah 20 years ago amazing I will catch you next week with a much lighter show that actually covers the best games available for the new slash Linux operating system that we all know and love Give someone a hug today. Give someone a fucking hug. Cheers. Windows version of weaponized chess.